The Greenwood and Milner Show is proudly sponsored by Boyle Sports. Bet £10 with Boyle Sports and you get £20 free in free bets. What are you waiting for? Sign today on boylesports.com. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Milner Show. One Stephen Taylor. Hmm. Yes, you heard it right. One Stephen Taylor on the Greenwood and Milner Show. Sam, we never thought we'd get this one done because it was just becoming impossible, but... There was a breakthrough, just like Newcastle's takeover, and we managed to get um, just under an hour with Newcastle's best ever number twenty-seven. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other number twenty-sevens. I mean, he had the shirt for so long. Um, do we even have a number twenty-seven now? Yes, yeah, isn't Freddie Woodman number twenty-seven? Uh, I believe so. Is he better than Freddie Woodman right now? Yes. <laughs> um, no Freddie. I'm sure he's a very good goalkeeper. No, he is a very good goalkeeper, but you know, I'm, I'm you know, like nearly 15 years service. Um, yeah, I, I mean, normally I would get very, very agitated when someone interrupts me watching Great British Bake Off on a Tuesday night, but um, Stephen Taylor did, and I absolutely am so pleased that he did. Um, I can't believe we uh, pulled this one off because this is one that I've wanted since we've started doing it. Um, I've not looked forward to, to one of these shows this much for, for a good while. No disrespect to anyone else, but this is, this is one that's really interested me because of the expansiveness of his time at Newcastle. If you think about it, he broke into the senior team under Sir Bobby Robson and left the club under Rafa Benitez. So that's that's a bloody long time and there's no better person to ask than about the state of the club from under Mike Ashley and to, to before Ashley and, and everything that goes with it than, than Stephen Taylor. Yeah, um, Stephen Taylor. I, I, he was a fan that became a player, lived his dream and I think the only thing was missing that was a proper trophy. Yes, I know he was part of the championship team that won in, under Chris Hutton, but I think like an FA Cup or a League yeah, Cup or yeah. a UEFA Cup, especially in the early years under Sunes and uh, Bobby Robson, I think that was all that he was missing because he did so well for Newcastle, played with some fantastic players and developed a very, very good partnership with Fabrizio Carcini. And it, it was great to see from a fan point of view because especially 11, 12, 12, 13, two seasons, I think Newcastle did pretty well, especially 11, 12, where we finished fifth. The next season, the league-wise, it wasn't as good, but the Europa League was absolutely extraordinary. He was a crucial part to that team doing well in both competitions. And if it wasn't for injury, I think Newcastle may put it out there. Might have finished in the Champions League places 11-12 because, let's be honest, he's probably better than Mike Williamson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that was the thing with with Stephen is keeping him fit for... Because he's had some horrific injuries, and to even come back from half the injuries he's had is a testament to itself. Um, but yeah, keeping him fit and like it would have been nice to see him play alongside Woodgate more in the early days. It would have been nice to to like that season we finished fifth, as you say, to see him stay fit and not pop his Achilles. Ouch! Um, to, to like get a proper run at things, um, and he's he's always good value. To, to watch on the pitch as well because you never know what you're really going to get from him. And he was he, he was a threat from set pieces as well. Um, 
he was always good for a, a, a bullet header every now and again. So yeah, really, really, really pleased with uh, we've got him on the channel. Yeah, I think this is probably one of his first interviews since he's retired or semi-retired or well, no, he is fully retired now. I think he's, he's doing Don't some do many. Don't do many at all because he's yeah. not on. He's not a big prominent figure on social media. He's only on one um, one outlet. So yeah, it, it, it's it's it's. Yeah, I'm. Are we calling this an exclusive, Samuel? I don't know, but I don't. I'm going to call it exclusive. Has he done an exclusive things? interview with Stephen Taylor? Didn't didn't no? Wasn't he interviewed by Shearer for the Athletic? No, I don't think he was. Was he not? Well, if he was, there's some fantastic articles on the Athletic where Alan Shearer has interviewed Stephen Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's been in the. I don't think the Chronicle have had him though, or anything like that. I think no. so. I don't no. know. We've done well. We've done well, and we've. Uh, can't wait for you to to listen to it and tell us who you want on next because we've. No, we've I don't like that pressure. I don't. No, I don't we've like... got to try and give the people what they want. Yeah, I know, and I do try, but like, yeah, it's just pressure, isn't it? I don't like. I don't pressure know. makes tires. Yeah, I know. Well, pressure is a privilege. So, yeah. All right. Okay, fine. Email us info <laughs> at newcastlefanstv.com. He scored some fantastic goals. Um, I think one of my favourite goals was the Middlesbrough goal. Bullet header. Oh, I thought we were going to stay up after that game. So did I. <laughs> It's the hope that kills you. <laughs> I know, and then I went to the next game and then we lost at home to Fulham 1-0 when we really shouldn't have done and then if we hadn't have lost that game we would have stayed up. So, But I'm over it now. No, Howard Webb cost us that game. Yeah, I know. I know, I know, I know. Go by I'm over it. I'm, you're over it as well, Sam. I'm not. <laughs> sure, Alan Shearer's not over it, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, know. I know he's not. No matter how much he smiles and says he is. <laughs> let's get this podcast up and running shall we this yeah. is one not to be missed and I hope you thoroughly enjoy it and let us know what you think of it this is the Greenwood and Mullen show and it is with Newcastle's number 27 Stephen Taylor hello everyone welcome back to the Greenwood and Mullen show here on Newcastle Fans TV today me and Sam are joined by a man that made over 250 appearances for Newcastle and scored 15 goals of course, he's one of our own. It's Stephen Taylor. Stephen, welcome to the Green and Morning Show here on Newcastle hey. Fans TV. Thanks for having us, guys. Stephen, it, it looks a lot different, uh, Newcastle United, at the minute with everything that's going on. But I believe that because you've just retired, you're just relaxing and enjoying uh, the wonderful life of retirement in the UAE. So, how is it? Yeah, I was going to have a couple of weeks um, to switch off, but that hasn't happened. Um... I'm just going straight into it. Obviously, new job now with uh, elite sports performance at Jumeirah Beach, working with the footballers, with, which I've been doing for the last four years. Um, you know, keep myself fit before the uh, the season started. So, I wanted to get involved with that, keep myself fit, and uh, yeah, keep myself involved with the football side of things. And obviously, seeing the Newcastle scenario, what's going on now, it's uh, exciting times. Hopefully, ahead. It certainly is. Probably the most exciting time since, well, when you first broke into the first team under Sir Bobby. What was that like as, as a young lad coming through and your manager Sir Bobby Robson, a legend in the game, and your captain's Alan Shearer, another legend in the game? Listen, it's a different uh, 
a different era. I think when you leave school and you're what, 16 years old, Bob Robson tells you you're going to be in the reserves. Um, for me, as a young uh, you know, fan, to come up and train with the likes of Alan Shearer, Shea Given, Gary Speed, Jonathan Woodgate, back then, it just felt like in proper professional footballers, big names, you know, for me to be involved with, what, seven centre-halves ahead of me at the time and was I going to get my opportunity in Newcastle as a young kid? I didn't think it would happen. I thought I'd have to move away and, uh, you know, start lower down the leagues and I got lucky. You know, I think being around the players uh, definitely um, give me the kind of confidence going away to Wickham Wanderers where you learn your kind of trade of what it means to be a professional footballer. And there's a lot of young lads now who get to 21 and they still class themselves as young and I look at if you're not breaking in before you're 18, 18 years old now, especially in the modern game, you know, you got to kind of look to, you know, go out on loan or you got to like wake yourself down in the lower leagues. And I was, I was just very lucky. I had like Bobby Robson give me my opportunity against uh, Samuel Eto, Real Mallorca in the UEFA Cup and then Bolton the week after. And then I had to wait another year until uh, Sunes came in and give me my opportunity against Everton, St. James Park. And I never looked back after that. You talk about the fact there was seven or eight defenders in front of you at that time. Did you have like that drive and determination to go, well, does that just get one by one before we can get into that first team? Because obviously you talk about like Jonathan Woodgate, like he was very, very underrated, very, very underrated. And I think injuries aside, he probably would have got a lot more caps for England. Did you learn off different defenders, not just necessarily Newcastle defenders, but other defenders in the league while you were uh, up and coming? Watching, I think Woodgate was the biggest thing for me. I think um, he was an unbelievable. There was all the talk about Levy King as well at the time. There's Jonathan Woodgate, Levy King. If they weren't, uh, you know, with the month injuries that they had, I think uh, they probably would have kicked on. And he was just so consistent. You know, he was like a Rolls Royce. Everything looked very easy. I don't, I don't know if you remember the game when he cast played Marseille and Marseille in yeah. against Drogba that night. He was outstanding. And for me to watch that kind of player as a young kid train with him and uh, just speaking to him and having him have time to speak to myself and Peter Ramage, um, you know, that was amazing to have that. I think. Listen, I had a chip in my shoulder at a very early age. I used to knock on Bob Robson's door and I said, you should be playing me. You know, you just got beat. I should be playing, even though I was 17, 18 years old. Of, uh, sort of, I should be playing. And that was my thing. There's, there was nothing really that was going to step in my way. I, was, I knew I'd play. It was just a matter of time. Um, and when I did get my chance, there wasn't anyone going to stop me. So when I was on that pitch, listen, there was, I remember there was training sessions. I was training. Even some of the older ones will stop being busy, will you? Just tone it down a little bit. But I loved it. Like, loved getting smashed in the face of the ball and getting, uh, I don't know, just getting involved with the lads all the time. And I just want to be around the experienced players. You know, your you, you Shearers, your Speedos, your Woodgate, your Shea Givens. Kind of being around that kind of crowd definitely brings you on as a, as a player, as a character. Um, and it tests you as well. That's why I've always kind of done better against the older players, the better players. You know, I struggled when I played in the reserves against my own age groups. And it was always, uh, I found it difficult staying at that level. I always would be tested and definitely got tested when you play in the Premier League in you know, the UEFA Cup. But nights like the Thursday nights in the UEFA Cup for me were the best, you know, as a fan. I mean, them atmospheres you can't beat, especially at St. James Park. It was incredible. I think the Anzi game I'll never forget. Probably the best atmosphere I've ever played in. Winning 1-0 and CC scored that goal. The atmosphere was just electric. Um, I miss that kind of atmosphere. When you had Bobby Robson there and you just had the kind of the good feel factor around the whole city. I think the fans were excited. They were always getting linked on a Friday in the back of the evening chronicle. You know, when you 
Galbring is back, who you're getting linked with, the Patrick Cliver to the world, the top, top names out there. It was kind of just give you that belief. And over the years with Ashley, I don't think the fans have had the kind of excitement. You know, on a Friday, did they get the big names linked with Newcastle? It's, I don't think it really attracts the fans as much. But uh, I hope now the, the new ownership, they've got to understand the players who come in, have got to understand the culture with Newcastle fans. That is the biggest one. You know, there's no point getting players to come and sign who are big names who are going to come just for a payday. Um, so it's make sure they get the right experience, hopefully the Premier League experience. I, mean, I know they've been linked with a few who's in the other leagues, but I just hope it's the right ones for the, uh, the, the playing sport at the moment of this season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we'll come on to current day shortly, but you mentioned there as a, as a 17, 18, 19-year-old lad in training, you're up against the likes of, like you say, Shearer, Clivert. I mean, that's got to be something. And then, like, a few years later, I imagine being up against, like, Cisco was a bit easier. No, do you know, it's Bellamy. You missed out Bellamy in there as well. He, yeah. was, uh, he was great He was great with the likes of myself and Peter Ramage where, you know, we'd leave a bit on him and all that. And he'd say, you do that again, I'm going to wrap my legs around your knee and all that. So, for me, it was great, I think, to be uh, in the round, understanding what it's like from their kind of mindset. And... Um, it's different. I think eras change and you've got to go with the times. And, you know, I think with the, the likes of Sosoko, what you remember, he was an absolute specimen. You know, the, the outlet that he had. And if you remember when we finished fifth that season, you know, players like Hatan Ben Arthur, Ben Babar, you know, CCA was on fire. Johan Kabai, Tiori. That's the year we should have kicked on. But when we yeah. did well that year, Mike actually sells the, the best players. And you have to replace them with the same quality, if not better. And we didn't do that. And that's where I think Tottenham overtook us. And we uh, we went backwards for a few years. Yeah, I think that was obviously a, 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 from a fantastic season. It was very difficult after that because we it seemed to take a couple of years to recover from that. But going back a little bit, obviously you said you had a couple of niggles with with injuries when Sunes came in. And then you did play one very, very important game under Graham Sunes' era. And that was the 3-2 win over Sunderland when Emre scored that free kick, fantastic free kick. That was your first yeah. first team uh, time we had Derby. Can you remember yourself and Peter Ramage? Because he was he was starting as well that day. I can remember his celebration. He was like doing that with his head when I think Shola scored his second goal. Um, yeah. Can you remember what the build up was like to that game and how much you were looking forward to it? Were you nervous? How how were you feeling? Oh, hundred percent. You got the nerves going. Atmosphere, the build up, the whole build up before the games and stuff. And I think going into that game, it was tight. You know, it was uh, when Emery got that free kick to stick that in. What a feeling when the roof took off. But that was when it felt like uh, the fan base was there with the players. You know, it felt like they wanted to do well and stuff like that. You had that kind of uh, the belief with the, the fans. We're going to be in Europe. That was that kind of atmosphere. The, the fans, we knew that as players. That's where we should be. And that's where we belonged. That era was good. But, um, you know, times did change, I think, with the, uh, the Ashley era that came in and it became a profitable club. But for him, he was all those sports direct. You know, changing the, uh, the stadium to... Sports Direct Arena, you know, just when you think you're doing well with the fans, you would do, all right, get to Europe, you want to do something like that, it kills the, the atmosphere. You know, taking the staff's pensions away. There's little things like that, which when you go into a training ground every morning and you've got the staff with faces like slap backsides, the people on the outside don't understand what that's like. It becomes like a virus around the, uh, the training ground because you go set the staff, you know, I remember uh, we had a physio there who'd been there for many years, built a house, gets his pension took off him, and he's going to sell his dream house. He's obviously had problems, and it, it just causes a knock-on domino effect 
hallway food down to the kit men and the laundry women. And it's by little things like that, the smallest details that go on to the players because, you know, the players had a, you know, like a tight bond with the staff at the time and doing that to them, it just become a negative kind of place around and it wasn't, it wasn't nice to be around. I mean, you, you were more of a senior player by that time and obviously you'd been there for so long and, you know, boiled tomb fan and did you have much to do with Mike Ashley and did you not have that feeling of wanting to, A, throttle him to just or even pull him aside and go, come on, mate, what are you doing? And and just how does that because there was no communication from the owner, is it just left to does was it frustrating for the players just because there's just no communication coming from him? Listen, players back then, players now, you got no power. So what you gotta do is keep your mouth shut, get on with your job, and that's all you gotta do. The hierarchy they hold all the power. So no matter what you do, if you come out and you start kicking off and moaning about stuff, once them lots see that, you'll be gone. So listen, you, you've got to understand the, the job that you're in. The only thing that you can do is what you do on the football pitch. So all these players who try and go against the hierarchy, there's only one winner when the hierarchy win every time. So uh, you just got to keep your mouth shut. Unfortunately, I've had to sugarcoat a lot with the, the ownership over the years. And yeah, you, that's what you got to do at the end of the day. Just get on a train, uh, training pitch, do your job with a smile on your face as best as you possibly can, even though you're, it's a killing you inside sometimes, you know, you, the amount of times where it frustrates you. Bonuses get took away from everybody, the staff, everything like that. Um, you just got to deal with it. I think that's part and parcel of being a footballer, especially in Newcastle. You know, it felt like Big Brother every year is always something happening at the football club. And uh, in a way, it was, that's one of the reasons why I loved it as well. You know, it, there's always something happening. It's always good. I think um, I just wish we had exciting times, more chances to have a go at the League Cup and uh, the FA Cup. I wish we had pushed and uh, had a right go at that. But the ownership didn't get much money for that, even if we did well. Their main priority was the league. So the business thing, you've got to look at that and you have to accept it. You know, it was, that was a hard one to, uh, to take. You talk about the League Cup and the FA Cup and in particular, like wanting to have a real go at those competitions. Was it... So we were told by whoever the manager was in particular eras that, look, I'm going to be playing, I'm going to be squad rotating for these games. I'm not going to be playing the best team for these games. And to, how did it feel from a local lad point of view? Because you've got to think, could you imagine walking up Wembley Way with a trophy or walking up the steps in, with an FA Cup in your hand? Because that must, it must kill you a little bit inside. I think up to about 25, I didn't really understand it. And then you get about... Later on in my career, then I started seeing it from the upstairs point of view of they're not going to get much money. So for them, play the players to keep their values high. If they want to get rid of someone in January or whatever it was, that was their kind of mindset. Play the lads who haven't been playing, the young boys, give the, the lads who are playing the Premier League a rest. And um, I still think we should have been look at Bobby Robson. I think there's a time where we we're playing well in the Cubs and we're doing all right. And you have to go. I think the fans need that and instead of being sitting back and they want, to, they want to be excited and they're going to the game. I remember going to the games with my old man and you understand, even if they get beat, at least you have a goal. I think that was the biggest thing. And the fans want that now, you know, and, and just when was the last time they were excited? I think it's probably the days where we were finished fifth. That was the one, I'm sure we were top two up till December time. It was in Man City and we were causing all sorts of problems on the pitch to teams. When you see teams go defensively against the cast, it was... He likes a hat hand, you give him the ball, he'd take past 
two or three players. He's in Denver on fire that year. I and Checky Teodi dominated the midfield and um, you know, had a good relationship with Colo at the back. So it was, you know, one of the games, you know, on the front foot all the time. At the moment, I don't think they're getting that kind of excitement. And um, for whatever reason that is, hopefully now things will change. But at the present time, I can't see it doing that. Yeah, hopefully exciting times ahead. But how how did that squad that finished fifth kind of compare to the one that you you just broke in to to the side? Like you mentioned, Colaccini. Like how did he compare to Woodgate, Tiote to someone like a, a Gary Speed, Bar and Cisse to a, a Shearer and Bellamy, and Kabai, who was just absolute filth in midfield. Different eras, I think. Different different quality of players. Um... As a fan coming in, bigger names. Me coming up, everybody knew these names everywhere we went. Just like the days that night, Hansi and CC scores that never forget that night. Um, but you've got like coming in the training ground, you you see Shearer, you, you see like a Woodgate, you see Gary Speed. For me, I, I model a lot of my operation around Gary Speed, where he did things like taking two pro plus before the game, two pro plus half time, little things like this. It was just like, what does he do? Try and copy him. How's he trained? His mentality. Um, I just love to surround myself with these type of players uh, on a day-to-day basis. And I think it brings the best out of you, especially as a young lad coming through. Before I got big injuries, two snapped Achilles, two dislocated shoulders, bicep tendon in, snapped, ruptured in my hamstring. Um, you just started to think, bloody hell, how's my luck here? You know, we got relegated the first time. You get told, if you, if you go down with Newcastle, you ain't going to be in the England squad. I was the team that got relegated and I'll be the team that brings us back up. I sacrificed that with the, with the England stuff and you see the likes of Shawcross and Cahill all that step up to um, the England team. But for me, I don't, I don't regret it. I think it's an order to roller coaster ride, especially uh, in professional football. And you just got to enjoy that ride. And well, I certainly did. 2006 to 2009, Stephen, was where you really played a lot of football, a lot of games, and you were getting watched by a lot of clubs, I believe, as well. Ultimately, it started with the late Glenn Rodak, who really took charge of the first season. Who I don't know if he gave you more of a chance or he saw something in you to kind of go out there and express yourself and you know, you know, make mistakes to start with, but grow into the Premier League. Um, but what did you think to start with, like 2006-7 to the, the year we got relegated? How did you feel in yourself in terms of your own performance and then the team performance? When I was playing freely, no injuries, it was the best feeling. I knew what I felt on that pitch confident going to any game I was there's no there's no fear of anyone I didn't care who was playing against big name I don't care I just had that like a bit of arrogance on the pitch and uh, whoever plays I just want to dismantle them in the first five ten minutes I enjoyed that I love the physical battle I love the, the challenge ahead of you you, you know you're going to play against Alexa Long really these players but I, I loved all that you know getting getting the faces causing a bit of mayhem on the pitch I just enjoyed that yeah I miss them them days were good obviously the UEFA Cup was very good we had a good run in that. Um, and that's when Newcastle was, for me, the, the top. That's where we should be on Thursday nights. UEFA Cup, St. James Park. I miss them nights, Pat. Oh, you're not the only one. You can't beat <laughs> European nights at St. James's. Oh, just, yeah. I mean, that, that I think that night in Lisbon and, and, and the night in Marseille as well, I think those were the probably the best chances we had of, of lifting a trophy. Um did you feel that in and around the squad as well, that those were like a real big, big opportunity missed? Especially the uh, Sporting Lisbon one. 
that one for me, I thought we had a right chance of doing it. But the morning of the game, I'll never forget, as we were going to go for a walk, um, everyone got on the bus, and I remember uh, Graham Sooners had some newspapers, and he walked on and threw them at Laurent Robert, because obviously there was a, uh, a statement on there from him about Graham Sooners, and they had a bit of a fallout. So they obviously the, the papers got thrown at Laurent Robert, get off the bus, we got off the bus, and it was just like, Jesus Christ, we actually need him. You know, all the timing was just terrible uh, for us. I honestly think if Robert had, had played that game for us, I think we would have, uh, we would have won. Um, but it wasn't wasn't to be with that for me. With that squad that we had, that was uh, the closest to having the right goal and winning the uh, the UEFA Cup. You talk about the England decision and potentially you need to be playing Premier League football. But from you know, from a biased Newcastle fan, thank you very much for your loyalty. Because I would imagine there's probably other offers on the table when Newcastle got relegated. And your mindset's got to completely change to, well, we're not, we're not a Premier League team. Um, we've got to get back into the Championship from the, from the first season, especially. How important was the likes of Chris Seat and Kevin Nolan in particular getting that yeah, team I think, getting I, I, that ready? I, I, I think for us, it was just getting rid of the players who didn't want to be there. And I remember we played against Lynn Orion. Uh, we got beat 7 0 or 7 1 or whatever it was. And that Monday morning we came in and it was just basically put your hand up if you, if you want to be away. And I think a few of them put their hands up and I think that week a lot of them were, were gone. And um, we had a group of lads who just grafted and um, you know got us back from what we... And that's when we kicked on a bit. I thought next season, the main thing is staying in the league. We did that and we got we got the club, I think, back in a good place. And I think we needed that uh, transition to get these big, big name players who didn't want to be there out of it. Uh, so... It was a good thing in a way, uh, but it was one that you know it was, it was horrible to take. I think uh, the first uh, relegation is always the, the hardest. Yeah, I mean, I remember that day at Villa like it was yesterday because I remember watching it and thinking, you were the only person, Stephen, like when the full-time whistle went, that really looked like you give a shit. Because there was a lot of players, like you said, there that obviously got moved on, but you were obviously crushed. And Shearer was then the manager. Then he was obviously gutted as well. What was, what was the feeling in the dressing room when relegation was confirmed, and <clears throat> just how how low did it get? You're, you're, what were the voices in the dressing room? Yeah, I think it's embarrassing. You're embarrassed. It's the lowest of your your career having that tag on your name that you've been relegated. And... I think, uh, yeah, there was an embarrassment just to, when the fans, especially down there, and you go across it, that, that's the worst thing. You know, you, it's a bit of, yeah, a bit of pills. Well, I didn't like that. Tough one, but in a way, it was, it was good. You, you see the ones who actually didn't care and you, when, they, when they're gone and the new lot come in, ones who are hungry. Um, you know, a lot of us, at the time, I think the championship, a lot of misfits, basically, who had points to prove. And... That's when you started to see uh, how much they cared about this club and wanted to do well for the club. It worked. I think with Chris, he was outstanding with the players. The management was very, very good. Um, and I thought he did very well. Very uh, underrated as well. He was very, very underrated. And you look at the 5-1 against Sunderland in particular. Um, I think the Arsenal performance at the Emirates, there's some notable performances in that first season. But Alan Pardew comes in and that's probably where there was a, obviously a lot of change, especially in the first six months, but he played his first game, Stephen, um, against Liverpool. Saturday night, 3-1. Um, 
you and Saul Campbell at back, Andy Carroll Stone. Uh, I don't think school. I don't think I don't think the fans are ever going to buy in because of the situation he had, the connection with he had with Mike Ashley, the London connection, and that's always going to be on him. I think even when we're winning games, it was always only a matter of time. Once we lose, then he's just going to have to take it. Since I'd say Bobby Robson, there was nothing, no manager who came in who I thought the fans related to until Rafa Benitez. When Rafa came in, he came in too late. You know, if he'd come in maybe a month, two months beforehand. I do believe would stay up, um, but it was the decision he always made at the time, and I think Rafa's the best thing that's happened to the football club since Bobby, with that feel-good factor around the uh, the city. He just changed things the way he was, and uh, I know people bring up the staff with obviously him and Steve Bruce and, and this, that, and the other. But it's just the way he dealt with his players. Um, you know, we were hard to beat, and I think yeah, I just do think if he had a bit more time, maybe a month, two months, would be all right. With Rafa, because obviously you left the the club when when Rafa was there, did you not try and convince him to give you another year? Did you want to stay and, and get back up into the no, Premier League? Offered, yeah, I, I, we played uh, Tottenham Hotspur in my last game, five one, and then I, on the Monday morning I went into the, uh, the the boardroom and there was a year offer on the table, but it was like you know low wages, high um, obviously if you, if you play you get a good good bonus, but I didn't want to be a player that. He's just going to sit on the bench, pick up a big uh, face slip, and it was just not me. When I was 18 years old and see some experienced players having to take big wages, sit on the bench, it's, that's not being professional football. You, you get forgotten about very easy as well if you sit on the bench. I think the best thing for me at 30 years old was to go and expose something new. You know, I've been in Newcastle since I was nine years old, left school at 16. I've lived my dream in Newcastle. You know, at, at the time, they're going to get four centre halves. So he's very honest and just say, I'm going to rotate. And, I don't want to be part of a rotation system. I want to go and play. I'm, I'm agreeing. I want to get my game time up. I missed a lot of games past few years with, with the Achilles. Um, so for me, I, I was off to uh, Turkey. had a three-year deal offer there. Um, they couldn't guarantee a banking guarantee. So then I went off to Portland Timbers, signed a two-and-a-half-year deal there. After, after about six months, Nick McCarthy said, would you fancy coming there to the championship and playing for me at Ipswich? I came there. Got injured, only played three games, and I had to really strip back after that. I remember uh, going to um, Tenerife in Dubai, where I am now, and literally I was about 93 kilograms, too much bulk of muscle up on top. Trimmed down, I went, went lean, and got down to 86 kilograms, and went to Peterborough, um, Peterborough United. And then it was the best thing, 52 games later. I hadn't done that, I can't remember the last time I did that in my career. And that gave me my platform of going up to Wellington Phoenix in the uh, the A League, you know, and prolonged my career for an extra four years, which I don't I, I don't think any Newcastle physio or doctor did think that could happen because of the two snap Achilles they thought get a thirty one and you've done well for yourself or do an insurance job now and that was what when I was twenty nine. So uh yeah just look after your body better. I think when you use it just obviously I had to train harder than I played. That's one thing I didn't do in Newcastle where they had wrapped me go and do the boxes, go and do possession. Go inside on the bike, get yourself to the David Lloyd for a swim. I just wish I could have changed things, training harder. You talk about that Achilles injury. I remember the game against Chelsea where it looked like you'd been shot. But people forget Newcastle had only lost one game that season. Obviously, that was the, the season we finished fifth. I think we lost to Man City. Like you rightly say, Stephen, it was, it was Newcastle, and Man City were first and second. Who would have thought? And how how mentally was that tough to take? Because again, you've mentioned a couple of injuries there, but 
to play so well. And like I say, yourself and Colatina, I don't know, what, how did that work for you as well, if I, can, if I can add that to the question? That was just like, like I said before, we, we felt going the pitch, we're going to win every game. The players that we had, it was just, it worked. Uh, teams just couldn't deal what we had. You know, if they come at us, just to cheat with our, our attackers, stay high and wide and leave, leave Hatam 1v1. And, uh, with Demba, the form he was in, you know, CCA, whatever he hit, was just going in. Um, I remember that game at St. James's when I heard the snap, big bang on the uh, the Achilles. It was it was horrific. It's a kiss of death, really. And you think, and that's it. Career finished, especially when I get the Achilles. Um, but I think the people around me uh, definitely kept me going. Wait two weeks after the operation, get straight back in amongst the boys and doing them half seven sessions in the morning. Uh, one-legged roll machine and stuff like that. Just keep it in around the lads. I've always got to be in around the boys. And uh, I've, I've looked over my career. A lot of players who had big uh, injuries, ACLs, knee injuries. They took too much time away from the training ground and away from the players. And a lot of just went different way. And uh, I didn't want to be like that. So for me, I got back. And I think that season I did get back. I was straight into the England squad. We played against Tottenham Hotspur first game of the season before when we won one nil. That's when I thought. I don't know how he even played 90 minutes in pre-season. I just ran on an uh, adrenaline. I said to Pardew, he was concerned. And he played 45 and maybe 60 minutes, two games in pre-season. He said, it's a bit too early for you. I don't know about this. And I said, listen, just trust me. The adrenaline in the atmosphere, that will get me through the game. And that's why I think going through the, fa- the fans at the Gala game, get the fist pump going, getting their energy around me, that was it. Once I get that feel, I felt unbelievable. You, you can tell that you were that sort of player, Stephen, because you had moments where you really feed off the crowd, whether it be in a celebration at the stadium of Shite when um, Ryan Taylor scored that free kick, or um, you've had a couple of moments which kind of like almost gone viral, one of which was against uh, Stoke. Um, what was going through your head and why were you trying to put the keeper off like that? Because it was, I mean, it obviously worked and it was genius, but what, what, why, why did that happen? Early in the first half, we had a corner and I remember the ball come in and I went for a attack the ball and I remember he's come out and I thought he was trying to leave a bit on me. So that had to wait during the game, near the end of the game, that happened. I was just in his face. I knew he didn't like it when you get up, and, up close to him. So I could see him getting angry with us and I thought, just concentrate on me instead of your walk. And just keep them. Um, I don't know what it is. I think just the atmosphere, the the energy around that place just gives me that massive buzz. Now everyone will tell you I'm a big caffeine addict. Before every game, I'm smashing the body in the aminos and the caffeine. That gets me wired. And then obviously seeing the crowd and that atmosphere at St James's just gets me buzzing. So I did I get yeah probably sometimes get too pumped up. But I just feed off that kind of uh, energy. Who was the best player that you play with at Newcastle in terms of just was just outstanding for what are you at Newcastle? I think you've got to look at the um Hossie yeah. Ben Arthur's Johan Kabai. For me playing with Johan Kabai that season we finished fifth. You really appreciate his passing. When he left, I didn't have anything like that again. Um Lauren Robert, game changer. I think just the, the strikers with uh, Shearer and Bellamy. You know, what Bellas did off the ball for Shearer, he's finishing. He just always believed you're going to win a game when he's on the pitch. Going out there, that just that aura around that he had. And um, yeah, I was just basically used as a dummy when he played as a every set piece, just going there, uh, be a blocker for him. And some of them absolutely big units that he'd throw me under. I was 18 years old, getting a ragdoll about and 
it was uh, yeah, it was good good to learn from them kind of players. I think Woodgate though, being around him for a good year training with him and playing with him, that was I was like, you don't really appreciate how good they are until you get up and close and see them how easy they made the game. You know, he uh, he was unbelievable. Player. Best I've ever played with. He'd probably be Duncan Woodgate, 100%. Not Kashapa or Boom Song, then? Uh, no, not 14. No, he, he was uh, <laughs> an, an incredible player. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, well sidestepped. Um, so, <laughs> the, the question that everyone's thinking, which um, obviously you've been asked before, but um, how much caffeine had you had this day before the game? Yeah, probably too much. I think that was my debut season, that. And uh, if Nicky Bud didn't dwell on the ball, I would have had the ball, no problem at all. But he, uh, he got took off. <laughs> Bill Nicky Bud's Yeah, Darius Mazel gets the ball, runs towards Shane. I go past Shane on the line, and I always know these strikers, they're going to they're gonna obviously give you the eyes and go the other way. So I just sidestep one way, and he just hit it too high. And in my head at the time, I thought the, uh, the referee was further down the pitch. So that's why I did what I did, because... Uh, I did think the referee was further down the pitch. I don't know why. I think he's only 20 yards away. So when I seen that, I thought, oh, no, he's killed me here. I don't know, like 52,000. I'm thinking that's my career finished here. So uh, I just try to do my best to somebody go. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, well, maybe, because what was the. Were you able to sort of like hide in the dressing room after that game? Because obviously it wasn't even the most, you know high-profile red card of the game. Obviously, Dyer and Boyer had had their fight, so I'm guessing the attention was more sort of drawn on them. Were you kind of secretly chuffed at, and thought you've got away with it? No, what happened was I got in the change room by myself, um, got my shower, got my suit back on, and I remember just sitting there, and I just hear this, you know, this uh, roar and arguments come up this, uh, the, the way for the tunnel, and it was Lee Boyer and uh, Kieran Dyer with two of them, I says. And they came in the change room, got separated. And I'm thinking, Boyer's top was ripped. So I'm thinking he's had an argument with one of their players. Dyer's obviously helped him out. Until I heard, uh, I think Kieran Dyer was saying, yeah, you, you punched like a, a girl. Which I say it was a different word, but I've got to be careful what I say. So when I, say, when I heard that, I went into the players' lounge, seeing the TV. And when I seen what happened, I tell you what, I thought there's a god. <laughs> so I'm walking back in the change room like Conor McGregor by the way so I'm sitting down <laughs> on that seat waiting for the team to come back in bear in mind we just got beat so obviously it's a, it's a nightmare anyway but uh, I apologised to Shearer straight away in the lies I said I apologise and he was great he said no don't worry about it and he went in on Kieran Dyer went in on Lee Boyer and uh, I remember that night everyone was just talking about their situation and I thought by the way we won there I've got away one there until the next morning having breakfast with the boys and everyone looked at me, what the hell were you doing, by the way? You absolute tit. <laughs> so for me at the time, I was like, I'm just trying to make a career of myself and that goes and happens. So I thought that could definitely um, ruin your career. But it's, uh, yeah, it went viral then. And everywhere I played in Australia, every single fan, I played on my career. That's the only two things they mentioned. The bloody handball, the stud goalkeeper, you not remember the night at Anzi? 1-0, one, nil, one no. <laughs> Southern 3-2, <three, two. laughs> no? All right. <laughs> but to be fair, to be fair, Stephen, you know, it, again, it just shows how much you, you do for Newcastle, what you do, you know, to help Newcastle in all, in all situations. Um, can I ask what your, you would decide, um, describe as your favourite game as a player for Newcastle? What did you think was 
the best game that you've ever played for Newcastle? My best game I ever played, I think, um, probably one of the Chelsea games. I think it always seemed to do well against Drogba in the St. James's. And I think we, uh, the Anzi game as well, I go back to that night. It was the underdog tag against Samuel Leto, William played. All that build up before the game, I remember people telling me, you're going to get battered. was going to kill you. He's drifting too strong for you, he's too good for you. So that, that kind of got me up for the game. I think that definitely that night, it was uh, it took my game to another level. Angie at the time as well, they were like the big kind of headline team because they were like spending money like there was no tomorrow and Eto was being paid like a billion pounds a second. And it was and it was just ridiculous. And then we when we do them in the last minute, that was just brilliant. But obviously nowadays there's a new richest club in town. Um just how pleased were you to see um not only the back of Mike Ashley, but I'm sure you would have seen the scenes outside of St. James's Park on Takeover Day. And how much did you kind of miss Newcastle in that moment and want to crack open a can? Yeah, I think everyone has. It's just like it's, it's just a matter of time before it's going to happen. But thankfully, it eventually happened. Uh, I wish it happened in my uh, in my playing time at Newcastle early on, but it didn't happen. But hopefully now, uh, January three or four players bring in. Uh, premature experience. I just hope it's it's going to be uh, yeah, good times ahead. But at the moment, um, it's just about you go a lot of the training ground, academy, all that kind of stuff that you know it's been overlooked over many years. Um, there's a lot that needs done. I don't think it's going to be a quick fix either. So it's going to take time. It ain't going to happen. I don't think this season next. Could be three next three to five years. I think it'll be. But hopefully, um, they can look at the Man City where they did it and instead of the QPR kind of way where they brought some players in who on high wages who didn't really care about the club I think when I spoke to Bobby Zamora out here who was doing uh, some coaching and he was just saying he goes some of the players that we had just the Eagles didn't care and it was interesting to see his side of it compared to the Man City when they just built a core and I say for Newcastle at the moment it's probably the best way for them to do is do that Look at the Vincent companies, the Silva, the Agueros, the Johar. Go down the court and then build from that. So I think that kind of way forward would be the one. I worry now with the amount of agents that will be involved with uh, Amanda's husband, who I guess I've heard who he's obviously dealing with at the moment. It's just whole people are just coming to the payday. The biggest thing now is getting the players who are going to understand the culture of Newcastle, the eat, breathe, sleep up there. And understand they're not going to have any privacy. You know, when they're out with meal with the missus or uh, whatever, wife, girlfriend, family, they're going to have fans coming over them. That's just how how we are there. You know what I mean? It's in London's different. After a game, people probably talk about for the weekend. You know, you've got it all week. I remember going to the supermarket after getting beaten. I've got the old granny telling us, "Hey, Taylor, pull your bloody finger out." Stuff like that. You just got to accept and love. You know what I mean? That's the city you're in. And these guys who are going to be coming in have to understand that as well. Um, they've, got to, they've got to relate to the fans. You, know, you can't expect to come with a big price tag. I've had plenty of players who have played with who they look unbelievable, train good, but come on a match day, they can't perform with 52,000 fans. They can swallow them. Some fans, some players just can't handle our fans. And these fans ex- accept, you know, it's a given. You've got to run anyway. You've got to draft 50 50s. They expect you to win every 50 50. And you've got to be put on a show for them. And they don't want laziness. Body language is huge with them. And you've got to relate to them. If you don't, you know, they're, they're not daft. They'll, uh, they'll soon batter you and you'll be out the door. But 
I just hope they bring the right players in. You know, I really do. And I think St. Maxman, he does need someone who's going to kind of like take the heat off him a bit, take the pressure off him. And he's asked a lot to do at the moment. It's like give him the ball and get the hell out of the way kind of thing when, at the moment. So I just hope they can get someone in who can uh, give him a bit more freedom. Steve Bruce is no longer the Newcastle United head coach slash manager and obviously Graham Jones took charge of the 1-1 draw yesterday against Crystal Palace. I know you, you probably have heard so much speculation in regards to who the new manager or head coach will be at Newcastle. Um, is there anyone in particular for you, Stephen, that stands out? Is there anyone that you would like to see at Newcastle to maybe more for this season to Until make sure they come that in, yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter who it is. It's just got to come and you just got to hope to get results, I think. You know, you, you got to judge them on results. And it's a, that's what business we're in now. You know, you don't get time in, in football. And uh, no matter if it's a big name or not, play, a manager who we don't know about, if they get results, the Castle fans will love it. So that's going to be the next step. But like I said, it's going to be a big revamp, the squad, but you can't do that overnight. So you've got to get to January. And then you've got to try and add three, four, five players if you can. That's going to benefit this football club and, and try and get us back up the table. And then hopefully on the uh, this summer, start really awesome building hopefully a core of players that can give us a platform and um, you know the building blocks for something special just to pick up a, a point you mentioned you mentioned the training ground which i mean you're the perfect person to ask really because you were there in the senior setup from the days of sir bobby right the way through to to rafa just how <clears throat> sort of bad is the training ground or, or compared to other premier league teams and there's that famous photos of players in paddling pools and wheelie bins and whatnot. Just how much has it been left to to rot away? Well, it's a bomb conversion. I remember when I was nine years old playing at Darcy Park, the, the slope amount of pitches that there were. The drainage is terrible. Um, if you compare it to other Premier League clubs, then it's one of the worst, obviously. It's only a bomb conversion, a lick of paint, um, very, very basic. Uh, but it had to be put up in a short space of time for them to get the academy, from what I understand. Um, when I first left school going there, I just couldn't believe at the time that was going to be it. You know, then you hear over the years, Mike Ash is going to spend money, going to make a state-of-the-art training ground, and it's going to have this, it's going to have that. That never happened. Um, but it's not just that, it's the academy as well. You go down to their pitches, they're like swamp. You know, you've got the next generation of players coming through, training that, that kind of pitches. And, you know, the drainage was so bad. Like the amount of time the pitches were cut up, um, yeah, it was. It's not great. I think certain parts of the, uh, especially the, the bottom end of the um, the field, it, it's like a swamp down there. So uh, that obviously needs addressed. So for me, the academy needs sorted out as well. The, the whole infrastructure is a massive uh, rebound. Talk about the academy, which I, I, I just want to mention more academy players coming through. Like at the minute, we can only talk about really like Sean Longstaff and obviously Paul Dummett's been at, at Newcastle a while. Uh, but more particularly, like to Sean Longstaff, Mike Longstaff, Elliot Anderson, that they seem to be the players that are coming through next. What advice would you give them? Because especially like to Sean, he's been getting a lot of criticism recently with some of his performances. What would you be saying to Sean and saying, look, just get through this? next couple of games or would you like maybe a manager to take him out the team and just kind of address maybe where he's going wrong because he does get a lot of criticism which some of it I think is unjustified at times I think for me when I've seen him at his best is when Rafa was there Rafa played the game around him and he was like the Michael Carrick on the side if you remember like, yeah, my United wanted to buy him I think 35 million 
when Rafa left, I don't think he's been played his kind of role in the side that how Rafa had him had always on the ball and everything went through him. At this moment in time, he's not having that kind of role and it's obviously found a little bit difficult, but you can see the quality that he has and a lot of players like that, you've got to play to their strengths and if you don't, that's what happens. He, he just needs, if he's not going to play, he's going to have to go on loan. I think that's the best thing. You don't want to be left in the wings and sit on the bench. You need game time. If you're not going to play, then you have to look to um, you know go on loan and get some game game time. But I think at the moment, obviously new manager going to be coming in. I just hope it's it's like what was with Rafa. You know he played everything through him, and uh, the ability that he's got. I think he can be like the Michael Carrick for uh, Newcastle, and it's great for Newcastle fans to see the homegrown talent like him. And Matty, I know Matty's obviously uh, up in, in Scotland, but the players like that coming through it gives the Newcastle hope. But going back to the academy. A lot of the kids now with their parents will be sending them off to Sunderland and Dillsborough for, I think, the quality. Uh, the academy is there. They get their chances. Newcastle at the moment, the need looked at massively with the, uh, the youth, youth system, 100%. What was the youth system like when you were coming through? Because Did you ever get kind of offers from elsewhere to, to go to different youth team or were you just fixated on breaking into the first team at Newcastle? I think um, the reason why I went straight into the reserves was it 15, just turned 16, I got um, Fulham. You know, they offered us a big pay packet to go down to Fulham. And that's when I had a chat with uh, Alan Irvin at the time and he brought me in an office and spoke with Bobby Robson. And he said, listen, you're going to be coming in with Tommy Craig. You're going to go straight into the reserves. We want to be here every day. And that straight away, that's a solder for me. I was like, yeah, no problem at all. Let's sign us, get a scholarship, get a scholarship signed, miss the academy. And it felt good at the time, you know. I wasn't going to do the academy, I had to go and do all the university stuff. I was like, listen, I ain't going to be sitting in the office nine to five. That's not me. I'll be going and give myself the best opportunity. If I break a leg or something bad happens, then I'll look back and then I'll do all that. But for me, the time, I ain't going to go in an office. I ain't going to have a shirt and tie on, um, the microphone and all that bollocks. So I, I'm going to give myself the best possible chance. and. Yeah, it was obviously Fulham at the time, but I was it was, it was ruthless back then. You know, it, it, I was getting sworn at. I think at fifteen. Now I look at you can't even shout at the kids. It was ruthless. I think at fourteen, I was playing with nineteen-year-olds, and, and that was the best thing for me. I was playing against better players, people who were um, definitely toughening me up. But being seventeen years old, going on loan to Wickham Wanderers, understand the man's game and what it meant to people about mortgages. I didn't have a clue about mortgages until I seen. Some of the lads getting upset after games and get beaten. They weren't getting to get their bonus, which they relied on. And then you really started to think, wow, this is uh, the real world here. Yeah. So then you get back and it gets you hungry. I remember going away, I think six games I played. Um, I got player the uh, the month there, Wickham, loved it. Came back and that gave me the uh, the buzz to want to get in the first team and uh, kick on. So it was definitely a good thing I recommend for a lot of the young lads who are coming through. Instead of just playing the under 23s and just happy to sit in there with a Newcastle badge on, go out, get some experience, toughen up, understand the game, and come back and uh, give, yourself a, give yourself a chance. Just uh, last couple of questions for you, Stephen. I think one thing I would like to ask, and we asked the likes of Nobby Solano this, is that would you ever consider a role back in at the football club, especially now, because the fact that we've got under new ownership, would you like maybe a coaching role in the future? Would you work with the academy players? Is there anything that you would like to strive for, maybe if you want to work, back at Newcastle in the future. Is anything that a role for you that you would uh, look at? Yeah, yeah. I think the role I would look at would be the players who aren't playing. 
dealing with them. I don't think even in my whole time there, there was never like a, a Putin was the closest. And I, I remember he came as a third choice uh, coach and he came in, gave me the idea of it. It was the players who weren't playing and the future that are coming through is working with them. Because what I've noticed, when you're not in the first team, you get kind of left alone a bit. It's managers working on his first team a lot. These players, they're miserable, they're by themselves, not really doing a lot. And the best who are coming through, they're not really doing stuff that's going to benefit them for the first team. They're just making the numbers up in shadow team shape. So they're not really doing a lot. I think working with players who are the future, the players who aren't kind of in the first team setup, who have been frozen out a little bit, who want to get back in there, is finding a title for that would be the kind of route I want to go about if I come back. I'll definitely work with the academy, next generation, toughen them up, tell them understanding about you know what it means to be a Newcastle United player, what the fans expect, and uh, understand the culture. And I'm sure every young lad coming through will. You know, when you go to the game with your dad, that's when you fall in love with the, the game of football. So that's definitely uh, something I would look into the future. But at the moment, I'm very happy to be in the uh, the heat on the beach with uh, my jet ski now. Very relaxed. First time in 20 years I've actually been able to switch off, not be controlled by football. And then every morning, how's your wellness? How's your fatigue levels? How much sleep did you get last night? Now I could wake up in the morning and uh, head down the beach, grab a jet ski and uh, fly around the beach and then uh, get off. It's it's not too bad, man. I think the, uh, the beach life is going to be me for a while. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was gonna say before you addressed it yourself, if you did come back then that was it. No more no more hot weather, no more jet skiing. But listen, I'll be honest with you, if there's if there's a jet ski at Timeout Beach, um, <laughs> you know, I, I w I'd 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 look at it working for free. So if they can sort that out, um yeah, I'd I'd definitely look at it. But I don't know where I'm gonna dock it, so I ain't gonna pay it's expensive to pay for it. I'm, I'm sure I mean, sort yeah. I mean, <laughs> richest club in the world, Stephen. I'm, I'm just pocket change for uh, for our owners now, surely. But um, yeah, what's we'll <laughs> Yeah, what I'm interested to know from all your time, obviously massive expanse of eras that you've you've had at Newcastle. Mm-hmm. If you could only choose one goalkeeper to play behind you, one centre back partner from all the ones you've had to play alongside, and one captain and one manager, who would they be? I think um, I love playing with Tim Krull, um, Jonathan Woodgate. Uh, I love obviously Gary Speed, my, my guy who I always looked up with. Obviously Shearer, Captain Shearer, manager Sir Bobby Robson. I think that he had um, the the respect levels that he's got. It was just something else. I think what Newcastle fans would give now for that. I think the time we finished fifth league. Looking back now, you know, as a manager, yeah, and an, an amazing guy. I mean, just understand the um, the players. For example, a quick one for you guys was: I remember coming in a Monday morning. We just got beat. I'm angry. I told the players. I think it was Speedo and Shearer. I'm gonna go and see Bobby now. I'm not happy. This, that, and the other. I should be playing. I'm not going to stall. Straight away, you see, I wasn't happy. He sat me down straight away before I even try and get my words out. He's talking about my dad. He's how your dad, son? And he's just got off the subject of that. It was about family. Anyway, I come out of the office. He's got his arm around me, walking down the corridor, and I've got Speedo going, I see you told him, all right, didn't you? Didn't get my words out <laughs> one bit. He just knew how to man manage a player. The audience, I flipping loved that. I was just like, I've got to take my hat off for that. 
it's back to the training ground, grass my tits off every day. And uh, that's all you can do. You just got to hold the respect from the guy and you just got to yeah, show yourself on the, uh, the training pitch instead of trying to be moaning. And that was the kind of time where you learn from something like that. And as a, as a player, a young player, you've got to just learn from your, your experienced players. And having the likes of Speedo around me was something special who I looked up to massively. Final question, Stephen. Newcastle United supporters, um, I think they do miss you. I think they really do miss you. I think they like, again, you're running up to the Gallagher and giving it, you know, the come on, boosting you up and boosting them up as well. Um, have you got a message for the supporters for your for your career at Newcastle and uh, how much do you miss them? Oh, I just want to say thanks. You know, I've, I've lived my dream. Um, the support that you've shown me all my career, I think, from a, a young 18-year-old lad running in the park at St. James Park, scoring at the Gallagher, Scoring a Saint uh, Sir John Hall end, best feeling in the world. I think beating Mackham's three-two there for me was one of the highlights of my career. And uh, seeing them have faces like slap backsides and the Jody's happy was the best feeling. So I appreciate everything of my career. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thanks for living the dream. So I'm making everybody listen to this podcast. Everywhere. I mean, if you're watching it on YouTube, well done, you found it. Uh, the link's in the description for the audio podcast, and uh, please leave a five-star review. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We've honestly yeah. thoroughly enjoyed I every single it. second of this, and it's been brilliant to speak I to you about it. all things Newcastle United. For myself, Jack and Green, and our special guest, Stephen Taylor, we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>